Carol, you're a follower of Jesus Christ, admittedly a follower of Jesus Christ, and you are one of his children. You profess faith in him. Shouldn't he exempt you from this pain? Nope. Why not? He doesn't exempt his followers from pain. Why not? Because it's part of the growing process. Mm. It's part of what shapes us and perfects us and burns away the burns away the dross and makes us more like Jesus. I think that's interesting because a lot of people do say that we as Christians shouldn't have trials in our lives, but it was the Apostle Paul who specifically said, when you have trials. <laughs> not if. <laughs> not if. Right. Not you're exempt from when you have trials because he's anticipating and God through the spoke through his word is anticipating the fact that we will have trials. Mm-hmm. You could get Joe, the atheist on here and he'd have a field day with what we're saying right now, because there's a lack of logic to some of this. And I, and I'm, I will admit that there is also a beauty in it as well as we accept and come to terms with our brokenness and how God wants to use us in spite of our brokenness and through our brokenness. I don't get it always. I really don't. I don't understand. And I'm not going to pretend like I have this great eloquent answer as to explaining away how, why there's pain in the world. I mean, that's of course one of the biggest questions. If God is good, why is there pain and why is there loss and why is there suffering? Why do, why do bad things happen to good people and why do good things happen to bad people? And there have been books and books and books written about that. Because we're grappling with mm-hmm. it. I mean, I don't care if you're Buddhist or Muslim or Zen or you know, whatever, whatever your religion or atheist, we're all grappling with the same questions. Why is there evil? We just come at it from different perspectives and viewpoints. Of course, I think Christianity has this fantastic viewpoint. on That's why I'm a Christian, mm-hmm. because it makes sense and orders the universe more for me than anything else does. But other people are still trying to answer the same questions just from dis- different perspectives. Carol, back to you. Yes. Back to the questions, because I know you enjoy this so much. Mm. So Love now, it. you're an adult. Your kids are mostly grown. Your years past this. You still struggle with depression. Yeah. Well, huh. at the time, I refused to go to the hospital, by the way. Why? Because <laughs> I, I couldn't bear to leave my son I didn't know who would take care of him. You're married, right? He had a job. Mm. Your parents are out of state. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, looking back, I probably could have figured it out. But in that place, I felt powerless. I felt incapable of figuring it out. So how did you survive? It was easier to stay home. How did you survive that time? He started me on medication, and that was helpful. And I started seeing a therapist who came to the house. Wow. Yeah. Was there shame for you? Because we're, we'll talk yes. about this in future podcasts, but grow, knowing how you grew up in a very, very uh, strict denomination and things were very much a certain way, talk a little bit about the shame of that first time you could. So let's, let's break this down and get very practical and real about this. So there was a first time you drove to the pharmacy and you went to the pharmacist and you asked for your medication. Mm-hmm. And there was a time when that pill came out of the bottle into your hand and you put it in your mouth and you swallowed it. What was happening as you're going through this? And it's kind of probably a little bit surreal. I was anxious for it to do something. <laughs> was the predominant feeling was just, please work fast. <laughs> <laughs> because? Because I wanted to get better. I didn't want to feel like that anymore. 
an antidepressant takes a good two weeks before it has a noticeable effect. So mm. I knew I had two more weeks of misery. I think that's why alcohol and drugs seem to be prominent even among those who are depressed because mm -hmm. it's a quick fix. It is. It is. Yeah, it's so easy to be judgmental of people. And you see the guy who comes in where I work, someone comes into my place of work and it's 10 a.m. in the morning and you can smell the alcohol mm -hmm. and you think you know, you know. Yeah. Um, and we just got to be so careful of those sorts of things. So there's anticipation. There's a little bit of hope. There's hope. Like, mm -hmm. wow, I hope this relieves some of this, mm -hmm. what I'm feeling. So there was a, some shame involved in that as well. I didn't, I didn't go telling everybody that I was on medication for depression. No, I don't imagine you did, but <laughs> was it hard for you to go pick the pills up and tell the pharmacist mm, at all or anything like no, that? No, I'd been taking medication all my life. It was just another pill, really. So you were an old pro at that. <laughs> I just didn't know if there was shame in taking mm. depression medication. Well, like I said, some of the medication that I used for the migraines was also a antidepressant. So I, mm. it was just another medicine to me. Okay. So now, how about how frequently do you struggle with depression now? Oh, maybe once or twice a month. I have a really bad bout. Is that the right word to use uh, about? Yeah. You know, to classify it that way, that's what the sure. word you use? Okay. How long does a bout normally last? It can last anywhere from a few hours to a few days. Are you able to tell when you're in it how long it's going to last? Can no. you get a feel for mm -hmm. it at all? Okay. And a lot of it is related to hormone levels and the whole thyroid medication because everything is in a balance. Everything is very delicately balanced, and the cell receptors that carry estrogen are the same receptors that carry the thyroid hormone. So different things can block or increase levels and change the brain chemistry very easily. And that actually leads real well into where I wanted to go next. There are many times in life we receive an education on something <laughs> that we don't, we never wanted an education on. Mm -hmm. Like my dad, he has multiple sclerosis and I never wanted an education on that. I never wanted to know what that was. But, you know, 30 years ago when he got MS, um, I got an education on what it means for someone to have MS. So tell us a little about, so now you've got, this is something you're diagnosed with. You've had it you've had for a long time, what's happening in the brain and the body? I don't know exactly what's going on with me, but I can go over some of the general that's what, yeah, chemistry. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's what I'm um, looking for. There are several different, um, what are called neurotransmitters that are involved in depression. And oh, we saw those in the movie inside out, right? <laughs> Not exactly. Well, it was a good illustration, but yeah, anyway, I'm sorry. That's Continue. okay. The one that's most commonly known is is serotonin. What does serotonin available. do? Serotonin is related to sleep, appetite, mood, energy level. It's a pain inhibitor. So when serotonin is depleted, it makes you grumpy. It can either increase or decrease your appetite. Gotcha. It can make you feel pain more intensely. Okay. So that's the most common one. Another one is norepinephrine. And the medication that I'm on works with both of those. Not all medications do. Some are only serotonin, some are, some are only dopamine, which is the third neurotransmitter that's very much involved in depression. Norepinephrine affects your blood vessels and anxiety levels. Dopamine has a lot to do with your motivation, your ability to move, your perception of reality. Dopamine is a, related to hallucinations. Not that I've had hallucinations, but um, well. but those 
those different chemicals play different roles in how your brain functions. And so if they're out of whack, it can lead to depression of some kind. And this is why it's so hard to find the appropriate medication because everybody's body chemistry is different. Everybody's struggling with a different recipe. The The medication needs to be as as well-tuned to your recipe of depression as possible. And it's, it's difficult to find that sometimes. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't know that. The parts of the brain that are involved are the amygdala, which controls the emotions and that gets more active. The thalamus, which operates high level functions and cognitive processes and the hippocampus, which is actually smaller in people that have chronic depression. um, And that controls long-term memory. When a person is depressed, they find it difficult to think. It affects your your ability to reason. I would read, I was, um, when I was in college, I would read the same page over and over and over and not get anything from it. Oh boy, how does that make you feel? Stupid. Yeah. And you're anything. (laughs) You are definitely not stupid. So depression, it, it depresses or lowers your abilities to think and to process reality. It affects your sleep. Like I mentioned before, some people tend to sleep a lot. Some people sleep less, Mm. struggle with insomnia. Mm -hmm. It makes it harder to remember things. Um, Yeah. That makes me cry a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And that's okay. That's just part of how you process it. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of times a stigma to tears. We'll talk a little bit in in a minute about that. You know, and that's something I've had to adjust to and something, you know, just being in a relationship Mm -hmm. with you and just being aware that this is part of how you process things at times. And sometimes it has nothing to do with depression for you. It's just part of how you experience life. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. It just takes some getting used to. (laughs) Because normally when a guy sees tears, he's like, oh, no, what did I do wrong? I got to fix this somehow. We got to get the tears to stop. How do we get the tears to stop? You don't have to do that. You don't have to make the tears stop. So sometimes it's okay. You shouldn't always ignore the tears. That's bad. <laughs> but you no, have to don't find, do that. find that place where you're okay and you're just like, yeah, I'm just, you know, I'm just working through something mm-hmm. and just, you know, you know, what do you need from me right now? So I want to talk a bit, and this is, don't mean for it to be hard, but I want to get people who, again, struggle with depression, I want them to feel like they're not alone. And people who don't, I want them, again, to help them understand what's happening. So now... Let's, t- let's take it to a time recently. It doesn't matter what specific time, but a time you could feel yourself, it's its happening. The darkness is closing in. Mm-hmm. And is that right? I mean, am I using Yeah, darkness is a very good metaphor for depression. So, I mean, obviously, and I'm not being silly here, but obviously, I mean, it's not literally dark and, you know, it's daytime. The right. sun is out. Although in January in Michigan, <laughs> it's kind of can be very gloomy, but so it's not physically dark. Talk to me about what it's like for that emotional or spiritual darkness. There's a, a sense or almost, you're almost convinced that everything is wrong. The whole world is wrong. And is, 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 when you say wrong, is it wrong and things aren't the way they should be? Yeah. 
And that things are broken. And that they'll never be right. Uh, there's a there's a fantastic play that deals with, it actually deals with being bipolar. It's called Next to Normal. Mm-hmm. And in the play Next to Normal, it's a, oddly enough, it's a musical. It's extremely powerful. But there is a moment where she talks about, she's at a therapist and she's talking about how she just thinks happy people are just stupid people. They're just shallow. They don't really <laughs> see what's going on. And I've and had if, this conversation with, some of my kids, yeah. If you're if you're happy all the time, then the answer, the obvious answer, is you're a moron. If you really knew the truth about reality, you would be depressed. So the the lens of you being in depression is everything is broken and there's no way to fix it, mm-hmm. and I'm broken and there's no way to fix me. Mm-hmm. Does it go beyond that, or is that kind of? Oh, it goes beyond that. Yeah. Can you put into words? Your thoughts start racing. And going all over the place, which leads to a feeling of an inability to accomplish anything. Um, like, like, um, what would be some of the things that your thoughts are racing about? Everything that needs to be done in the house, everything that needs to be done for work, the bills, the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Great. We're helping contribute to Carol's depression. But this is a good thing. It's all normal things of life, but suddenly they seem monumental insurmountable insurmountable yeah so when you feel the depression coming about of depression coming on mm-hmm. what are some of the uh, is there panic mm-hmm. is there absolutely panic yes you said before we were talking last night in preparation for this uh, podcast you said that it feels like you're sinking mm-hmm. into a pit a dark pit like quicksand type of a thing yeah and with a very, very heavy weight on my chest okay. to the point where it's a physical pain. So it's almost like you're laying down in the quicksand, not like you're on your feet. Mm-hmm. It's like you're on your back. Yeah. And that's just pressing you farther and faster into mm-hmm. the quicksand. Do you try, what are some of the things that you try to do to prevent the bout as you're sinking into it? Text you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No. no, I mean, um, that's, and, and, but you talk about that and you laugh, but. You text me, but why are you texting me? Because I know that you'll challenge me. You're throwing out a lifeline. Yeah. You're asking okay. for help. And oftentimes my first go-to is my daughter, Liz, who is currently out of the country, but um, she's been a great help to me over the years. Is it hard to ask for help when you're sinking? Yes, especially from your children. <laughs> Talk a minute about why that's hard. Because I should be the strong one that they come to for help. Is that true? Sometimes. And sometimes I am. Absolutely you are. But is it okay for you to reach out to your daughter and ask her for help? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's okay. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I think you have to be careful Mm-hmm. You know, if your child's five, <laughs> you know, and, you, right. and you, we laugh, we giggle at that, but that, no, it's true. But when Some you're people. that, but when you're that desperate mm-hmm. and you're in that much pain, all you know is that you're trying to survive, right? Yeah. You just need someone to help you, and you lean on who appears to be available and won't reject you. Have you ever been? I know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Have you ever been rejected when you were reaching out for help? 
Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> what does that feel like? Crappy. <laughs> She's laughing because I was guilty of this early in our relationship, and, and I certainly don't navigate it even close to perfectly now, but I think I do better. Much better. Okay. I actually asked Lizzie, thinking about this podcast, I asked her what she thought about growing up with a mom who struggled with depression, what that did to her, how that affected her. Mm. And she said it gave her a unique perspective on human emotion. Mm. And I said, in what way do you mean that they're, that they're not all real? Because we've talked about how some of them are imaginary and some are, some are real. Right. And um, she said, well, that, but that they're all worth acknowledging. And I thought that was a really wise answer. No, she's a wise kid. She has a wise mom. She does. <laughs> but I think that growing up with a mom with depression has been, has given my kids a unique perspective. And on good days like today, I can say, I can see how it's been good for them. And all mm. four of my kids are pretty sensitive and compassionate people. They are really sensitive to the underdog and to people that are struggling. They always want to stand up for the the guy that's, down you know the underdog so your kids i mean and obviously when we say that that there's been good coming from this we wouldn't wish this on anyone right we don't want right. kids to grow i mean but kids are growing up with parents who are depressed yeah and so for those of you if you have depression and you're listening to this and you feel like you're wrecking your kids mm-hmm. we all wreck our kids we do they all need and, counseling and that's that's how i look at it we all every parent is flawed every parent screws up their kids somehow and if this is the way i'm screwing up my kids well you're not so doing it, it intentionally. <laughs> Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, how get out? How do I get to screw my, how can I screw my kids up today? <laughs> so anyway, and then the other thing we say that I think is important, our feelings are for... For feeling. Feelings are for feeling. That's right. So continue. I do struggle sometimes with a sense of guilt, especially because all of them have struggled with depression themselves, and two of them are on medication. Well, so, actually, three of them are on medication so right now. So let me ask you. Yes. Do you blame your parents for having depression? No. Why not? Because they didn't choose it. But you feel guilty that your <laughs> kids have depression. Well, why did I have so many? <laughs> well, if you need me to explain that, that's a different podcast. We're not going to get into that no, today. No, it's just, you know, nobody likes to pass on their, their weakness to their children. Of course it's, not. It's not a good feeling. No, but... It, but I can see that there are some good things that come out of it. Sure. And it's not your fault. Yeah. To quote Robin Williams in Goodwill Hunting, it's not your fault. <laughs> so now you're in the depths of depression. You're, you're in the depths of about. Mm-hmm. Is the mindset any different from when it's starting? Mm-hmm. So talk to me how, now what are the emotions like? What is the mindset like? Well... There's an expression in English that doesn't get used as much anymore about being beside oneself. Mm-hmm. Like he's beside himself with anger or whatever. But it, it's an old expression from the Middle Ages, and it originally was used for people with mental illness. And when I feel myself slipping into depression, I have a sense of that where. I think this is not really me. This is not who I want to be. And that's why I start trying to reach out for help. But it gets to a point where I'm beyond that. And I can't even, 
I'm no longer aware that there is something besides the depression. Like everything is dark and I can't feel the real me. So do you feel like in that moment, the, the beside yourself thing works in that no, moment? Not and in it's the gone. depths, it's gone. So as you're looking at yourself from outside yourself, what are you seeing? As I'm going into the depression? Yeah, yeah. as you're beside I, yourself. I, I'm, I'm seeing myself falling and I... I don't want to go there. And I feel like I'm scrambling for help and scrambling to prevent myself from falling in. But once I hit bottom, then that's gone. Do you know when you hit bottom or does it feel like you're just now I'm in free fall? Just free fall. Lizzie knows me well. And so, you know, she'll uh, just give me a big hug, hold me for a while and then say, I'll go put the kettle on. You know, she'll, just make a suggestion of something I could do, put when, on some music. So when you hear that and you're now in the, in, in the free fall, you're mm-hmm. in the pit, what do you hear when she's saying those things? It's like a little beacon of hope. So it does help. Yeah, it does. Is there, so, but then the depression. Because I know she's there, but when I'm alone, then it's not good. <laughs> does, the t- does the depression then combat the ray of hope? Mm-hmm. Does it fight it against argues, it? Yes. Does it? Okay, talk yeah. to me about that. Like, what, is that, what does that look like? What does that mean? Um, well, because for one, for one thing, the wanting to reach out to somebody comes with this argument of they're not going to like that. It's, you're going to seem too needy. They're not going to want to help you. Right. It, just like there's this constant arguing. Or if I you know, go to Bible verses, my mind will go to, well, that was written to Israel, not to you. God doesn't feel that way about you. Sure. Or, you know, that was another time and culture and it doesn't apply. And it's dismissive. So, so my mind will dismiss all the attempts to help. Do you think that there's a spiritual aspect to that? I mean, many people would say that's the devil speaking to you or that's the <laughs> enemy. Would you, do you we accept that? We had this that? discussion. I don't think that depression is a spiritual problem, but I think that that the devil can use that hij- as a foothold. He hijacks it. He, he, hijacks he rides it. it. He uses it. He can, yeah. He's had a lot of experience with humans and he knows he spots weakness. And Do you feel like the darkness has an agenda? No. And so there's no, the darkness has no agenda. So it has no motive. It just has this overwhelming sense to just it wants just does it give wanna, up you just, just give up it's does, pointless does it want so hard does it want to obliterate hope yeah so is there an agenda in that i guess that is an agenda you're in the depths you probably you're now pretty much relying on people around you to notice and come after you because now you do pretty much do not have an ability to reach out right that's accurate the thing is, though, I'm incredibly stubborn. and Good to know. <laughs> and I've told you about this before, but um, I went to hear Elizabeth Elliot speak one time. She's a missionary, for those of you who don't was. know. Her husband was one of the five missionaries speared by the Aka Indians, if you know that story, of Through Gates of Splendor. And Look it up on Wikipedia if you don't. Great Good story. story. Great story. I went to hear her speak once, and she was talking about how so many people come up to her and say, how do I know God's will for my life? How do I know what God wants me to do? And she said, that's easy. Just do the next thing. Mm. Just do the next thing. 
that's what God wants you to do. Do what's in front of you. Do what's in front of you. And that stuck with me. And so even when I am just sobbing and feel like an elephant is sitting on my chest, I might just empty the dishwasher because that's the next thing. And I know I've just got to do something. Yeah. What happens if you don't do anything? I don't want to know. So take the next step. Even if it's a step, just take that next step. Yeah, right. And then... Don't give up. Never take, give up. Take the step after that. Mm-hmm. I was watching a show the other day. It's called Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. And she said, you can do anything for 10 seconds. Yeah. And all you have to just... You just work on the, the next 10 seconds and then just start it over again. Mm-hmm. Um, it reminded me of that. You're in the depth of depression and now... How do you get out? What happens? Because you're not there always. No. You feel like you feel like you're always going to be there, right? Yeah. When you're there, you feel like it's never going to end. And you feel like maybe this is the time it never goes away. Mm-hmm. How do you get out? I don't know. But you get out. I do. There's a variety of things that help. And that's one of the things we want to talk about is what can help. Sure. But how does it feel as you're emerging? Is it? gradual is it kind of it's a gradual sudden? you no, wake up gradual. one morning and it's gone no talk mm-hmm. to me a little bit about as hope starts to reemerge. the voices get quieter mm-hmm. yeah and i start um being more aware of the real me again mm, interesting point let's talk about that so when you're in the death of depression you're feeling like the real you is gone yeah and what's there in place of the real you a pathetic needy mess <laughs> funny that you laugh about that but i know it's a coping mechanism yes it is well let's before we get there let's talk about as you're coming out of the depression emotionally what's starting to take place my determination kicks in and i start fighting i'm not gonna let this beat me so what does the fight look like how do you fight part of it is self-care and doing the things that i know i need such as um Sometimes it can be sleep, something calming, like I mentioned before, with a cup of tea or usually herbal tea or um, curling up on the couch with a blanket and, a, and an animal to cuddle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's doing something that I normally enjoy, even though I don't feel like I'm enjoying it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and a lot of times it involves talking to myself self-talk healthy self-talk and a lot of that is something that you've helped me with Mm. recognizing the messages that are not true and replacing them with the truth is a healthy anger part of your coming out of it yes what are you angry at the depression depression is not me does the depression take on like persona like are you mad at like a a thing or are you mad at kind of this blanket it's a disease. So you're mad at the disease like mm-hmm. somebody would yeah, be mad like at cancer. Yeah, like when I hated cancer, yeah. So talk to me when it's gone. You're done. The bout is over. It's never completely gone. Every day involves some kind of mental battle. Does it feel like it's just lurking in the background yes. waiting to pounce? Yep. And it's just, you just kind of ignore it or... You know, do what you need to do. You have to fight it. 
So every day you feel like you're fighting this. Mm-hmm. Is it a moment by moment thing or is it? No, sometimes it's so far away that it's not noticeable. It's like a little shadow lurking back in the corner, you know. But I can remember at my oldest son's graduation from high school. And he struggles with depression. Mm-hmm. Pretty severe. When they announced his name. I wanted to cheer so loudly. How come? Because I knew it was a battle. It was a major battle for him to get through high school. I mean, there's little victories and there's big victories, right? Are you able to celebrate those victories? Yeah. Yeah. Does it help in the fight to have more victories? Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, that yes. may sound like a silly question, but I'm, I'm trying not to just assume I know the answers. No, it's one, it's one of the things that's a good thing to do is to make sure that you're having good moments when you're not depressed. Right. Find things that you laugh about. Find things to enjoy. Even if you don't feel find like act- you're actually enjoying them. <laughs> well, when no, you that makes sense. Yeah. So that when you're not depressed, you're enjoying life. But then when you are, you can remember those things and people can remind you of them. Okay. Like, Hey, remember that time that this happened and we laughed about that and it can bring back positive emotion. Let's talk a minute about, because you grew up as a believer, as a Christian, and let's talk a little bit about how the church, in your instance, and I'm not saying this is how all churches or all Christians deal with this, but in your experience, how has the church handled depression where you've been involved? It really didn't. It was avoided. Did you reach out to, for help to people within the church? Occasionally. What happened when you did? People weren't equipped to deal with it. So what would they do? Say cliches, quote Bible verses. Like what's some of the cliches that people would say? Well, all things work together for good. It'll be okay. Cheer up. Think of all the people that have it so much worse than you do. Hence the car crash illustration I said earlier. (laughs) Yeah. Because that's a very common thing to say. And why do you think the church doesn't talk about this? At least your church. Like we were saying earlier, it's, you know, we're supposed to be attractive to people in the world. Christians are supposed to have the answer. We should be joyful. We shouldn't have so many problems because we're Christians. And I feel like that the world is calling the bullcrap card. Yeah. Especially this generation, I feel like, really is looking more for authenticity, mm-hmm. uh, which is really important and not to pretend like we don't have problems. You had mentioned last night that there was a, um, a speaker at one of your churches, uh, one of the churches you were, he was mm-hmm. an MD. Talk a little was, bit about that. Well, he, he was an MD and very um, highly respected and... He was, I don't even remember what the topic of his sermon was, but I went to a church where we had lay preachers quite often. We didn't have a pastor. Mm -hmm. And so he was preaching one Sunday and during his sermon, he said that all depression is a spiritual problem and has a spiritual solution. So you're sitting there listening to that. What's going through your head as you're hearing him say these things? I have a pretty major spiritual problem then. 
I couldn't believe it was right. There were times when God was the only thing I could cling to. And my faith was the only thing that kept me going. So how could that be a spiritual problem if my depression was drawing me closer to God? How could you say that it was a spiritual problem? How do you feel about what he said now? As I think he's completely wrong. You have anger towards that message? I did. Not anymore. I think it's deceived. I think a lot of people are just completely ignorant about depression and how to help it. Uh, my question is this, because you had mentioned that your faith and your reliance on God has mm -hmm. brought you through it. Wouldn't that be considered a solution to the spiritual problem? I mean, because you did mention earlier that the devil uses your depression as a foothold and that your reliance on your faith then would be the solution to the spiritual problem. That's like saying somebody that gets through cancer because their faith helped them keep fighting that their faith was what cured the cancer. I don't, I think it, it, it helps with an aspect of the struggle. I think that my faith is what kept me looking for solutions and kept me fighting and not giving in. But I still had to look for solutions. I still have to take medication. I still have to do things to help counteract the physical ailment that is depression. Yeah, and that's, and that's a good point. Because we, if we stigma, like we've talked about already, we've stigma, we stigmatize this and we act like it's something different than any other illness. So does faith help with this? Of course it does. You know, of course it helps. But um, can God heal someone with depression? Yes, I believe that God could heal someone with depression, just like he could heal someone of cancer or diabetes or anything else. I've seen people healed of diseases. I really have. People I knew well, not just a story of someone being healed. So I don't understand it. It's a, it's, it's, there's a tension between God wants us to be healthy, and yet we all get sick and we're all going to die, right? And we're all going to die someday, and God doesn't prevent that. So faith helps in those journey. It helps with the suffering. It helps with the pain. And sometimes God can remove the pain and the disease. And sometimes he doesn't. Mm -hmm. In fact, most of the time it doesn't feel like he does. It's like Paul's thorn in the flesh. It's something that he is going to use to strengthen us if we will turn to him in the midst of the pain and the suffering. And you can even blame him for it and be angry with him about it because he can handle it. But, you know, of course, my wish is that people will continue to press towards truth, press towards God, uh, even in the midst of their anger and frustration, because it will help. Mm -hmm. And he may or may not remove it completely. But that's his call. And I don't understand when he does not I don't understand when he doesn't. Kind of reminds me of the story of Elijah. Mm -hmm. They're up on Mount Carmel and he calls fire down from heaven and he destroys the prophets of Baal. You know, he shows them all. And then Jezebel says something and he ends up in a cave. <laughs> I love that story. A couple of years ago, I went through a divorce and I ended up with my own apartment. And that's what I nicknamed my apartment was Elijah's Cave. Mm -hmm. Because it's a stepping stool. Sure. And God used that depression to motivate me and move me to the next level. Do you feel like that's the same with you? Mm -hmm. But you notice in the story of God and Elijah, God doesn't show up and give a spiritual solution. He doesn't start saying cliches to Elijah. He has him sleep and eat. 
Yeah, that's right? true. And he sent birds and he sent animals yeah. to bring him the food. And when I looked at that in my situation, what came to my mind was, these are the people that loved me and cared for me. They didn't necessarily come at me, like you said, with the cliches, but they did. They were just there. Yeah. So let's talk about, we're going to start moving into more of the, in a minute, more of the solution piece. Jesus said that the church, and the church is made up of people, the church is never a building, but the church is to be his arms and his, his hands and his feet and his arms to wrap around people who just need us to be present sometimes. But it feels like too often we, too many of us just want to be the mouth mm-hmm. part of the body mm-hmm. because it's easier, right? It's sure. easier when I have somebody and I'm confronted with something I don't understand to just throw something out there. And we think of how seldom words fix us. And yet that could be the thing we turn to when I want to comfort someone or help them. I'm going to throw some words at them. And hope that makes them all better. It's like, you know, trying to put a, a Band-Aid on a cannonball wound to uh, quote the comedian Brian Regan, who's awesome. So, Carol, yeah, as you're going through this, when you've been in the midst of depression or even out of it, what are some of the worst things people have said to you? <laughs> well, I mentioned a couple of them. You did mention a couple. Um, Is there anything else? Just get over it. You need to think positive and not even positively. They didn't even use the adverb. They said, think positive, <laughs> and they didn't even say it positively. Wow. Think of how good you have it. You just need to think of all the good things you have. I don't know what's, what do you think is so wrong with your life? So, again, completely dismissive and not helpful. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a minute about what it's like to date and be in a relationship <laughs> with someone who has depression. Um, so tell me, what like is it myself. like? myself. So you get to ask me a few questions now. What's the worst part of it? The worst part, I think, is there is often fear that part of it, it's complex. It's part of it is, is that you're not going to be able to meet the need. The other thing that is that I'm not going to be able to meet your need or that you're not going to be I able can't to meet, meet your oh, need. Okay. Uh, the depression that you're that there's a, uh, you know, so we're podcast land. So we're in the land of the brutally honest, um, <laughs> you know, things like, do I want to be with someone for the rest of my life that struggles with depression and sobs regularly? <laughs> uh, you know, difficult things uh, like that. And you're like knowing um, when I was married, uh, and I don't want to get too deep into this cause it's not my story to tell, but my ex-wife struggled with depression. So I have a little experience with it. I don't, you know, I'm not very good handling it all the times, but you feel like there's this, at least for me, but I think it's more than just me. There's this instinctive rejection of neediness. And so when we, we all have people in our lives that we know that are just, they're, they're just need suckers and they just will if you give them the time of day they're going to talk your arm off for 20 minutes about how bad their diarrhea was or how bad their (laughs) sores were you know you know what i'm saying i used to work with a guy like that let me tell you and if you let him he would just tell you all his ailments and all his problems and we instinctively avoid those types of people or they're just going to tell you about how bad their life is and how bad their job is and they just vomit on everyone that walks by or they bleed on everyone because they're in so much pain and people just avoid them. 
and uh and you just you you just think you feel like they're a black hole and you're afraid that no matter what you give them it's never going to be enough and they're always going to want more so you pull back because like why would i bother pouring into the black hole when it's never going to be satisfied now that I took that to a major extreme, that's not how I think about you, of course. Well, you did at one time, I think. Not that bad. <laughs> N- I mean, never to that extent. I mean, I went to I went to an, a real harsh extreme there, and it's not what I ever felt about you. But there was a sense of that: of is there something so broken about her that no matter what I pour in, it's just going to seep out through the cracks? And Which you don't... is funny because at the same time, you kept challenging me to be honest with you. And I was knowing the whole time that if I'm honest, he's probably going to bolt. And I didn't. Because he doesn't want to meet needs. But see, here's <laughs> the thing. Here's the thing. Um, there are times when people are broken and they're not interested in getting better. Mm-hmm. They are for whatever reason. Clean and there's the usually Yep. There's mm-hmm. usually a reason why, but they identify with a brokenness and there's not a real desire for health. It's like when Jesus came up to the man who is at the pool and he said, do you want to be well? And I think it sounds like a stupid question. Well, of course I'm, I'm paralyzed. I have to beg for a living, but I've met people who are broken. They're not ready to be well Mm -hmm. because their brokenness has become their identity. Yeah. And brokenness is never who we really are. Right. It affects us and influences us. So as you told me who you really were, you became more attractive to me because the real you isn't broken. Right. Right. So as you became honest and we pushed past the apparent neediness, that veil, Mm -hmm. right, that depression wants to stick to you like saran wrap, right, (laughs) as we we kind of pull that apart and and push through it and beyond it, and you see the, the beautiful person that in, in the real core of your essence and who you really are. That's why I said the more I see that, the more I am attracted to you because the other stuff falls off because it's false. Yeah. But the fear is I'm pretty positive. I'm trying to be a realist and you're selfish about it and you don't want this person pulling you down. Right. Cause ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> Right. Do you think it also plays into your own fears of inadequacy? Oh, of course. I mean, coming out of a marriage, a failed marriage, and I dated someone for a three-year period after my marriage, neither relationship ended well at all. There's a lot of brokenness in there and a lot of rejection. And I have my own internal narrative that I'm Mm -hmm. afraid, as we all have. You're not enough. We all have these internal narratives about what we're afraid is true about us and we hope is not because it's bad. So my internal narrative of I'm never enough, I will always disappoint and and always end up being rejected because I deserve to be rejected. That plays in with depression real well. For me, I will just run away. I'll take my ball and run away and go home, you know, know. rather (laughs) rather than lose. So honestly, dating someone in depression can at times when we're going about it the wrong way, it can feel like we're walking in a landmine we're walking on eggshells. We don't want to say the wrong thing. We don't want to be what spurs another bout of depression. And so it's times like that when you just feel like you want to withdraw. You know, hopefully there's lots of people listening to this, but the couples and the husband will just go play golf or go bowling <laughs> or go work in the sure. garage or the wife will just go out just and, and she'll go work on the car or she'll do what she does or go <laughs> shopping or 
See, I didn't want to be sexist there. Just oh, that was like, nice. Yeah, yeah, thanks. Good job. Um, so that's not helpful. So let's talk about some things that are helpful. For those of people who do struggle with depression, what are some of the things that have helped you, some very practical things? So some of the practical things that are not medication, because I would strongly recommend seeing a medical professional and seeing if there's something that they can help you with yes. in terms of chemical balance. Yes. And related to that, there are definitely nutrients that are missing from a person who's depressed. Vitamin D is a big one. And there's kind of an epidemic of it in Michigan because of the weather. Right. My doctor says that everyone in Michigan should take a vitamin D supplement. <laughs> <laughs> but in my family, we absolutely do because we all struggle with this tendency to depression. Okay. I've never heard that before. That's actually really good. Yeah? Yeah. Never heard of the vitamin D thing. Really? Really? Yeah. Vitamin D is great. Yeah. Sunshine. Vitamin D. So should and, I buy the whole milk and not the skim? Yes. Uh, really? Yeah, that's what I had heard before too. Yes. Always drink the skim. Because the skim milk actually they 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 pour sugar in it to make up the flavor and it's actually not really that skim good. Skim milk's for not you. that great. One of the supplements that contains vitamin D and a lot of other good fatty acids like omega threes that help with neurotransmitters, um, fish oil. So taking a, a fish oil capsule or flaxseed oil. And you you kind of have to play with these things until you find what really helps you because everyone is different. And give it a little bit of time. And give it time. Right? Yeah. Be a consistent. Be consistent for a good three weeks okay. to see if you notice a difference. Um, B vitamins a lot of times are deficient. Um, and magnesium. And magnesium, one of the things that is helpful is eating well. Good food. Like and McDonald's. I don't, yeah. <laughs> And yeah, I don't, I don't mean eating for therapy. I'm not talking about, <laughs> I can do that. you know, a bag of Snickers, um, good food, things like, um, bananas, kale, almonds, cashews, black beans, spinach, kale is so gross. So <laughs> avocados, they're high in nutrients, high in magnesium. And those are things that will help your mood. They're so mood, they're mood lifters. Perfect. Now that's talking about very specific um, foods, things like that, more physical things. Now let's mm -hmm. talk about some mental things. I'm not done. Oh, you're done. No, I'm not. Go ahead. <laughs> Do um, Have you experienced these things helping you? Yes, absolutely. Okay. What else you got, girl? Um, sunshine, because of the vitamin D, but also sunshine just is a mood lifter. If you can get out in the sunshine, do it. Um, when my son was in the worst phase of his depression, the doctor prescribed 20 minutes of sunshine every day. Go outside, take your shirt off for at least 20 minutes. I'm afraid to do that because <laughs> then I'd have to register so where I move. People call the police on him. <laughs> Nobody wants to see that. But no, sunshine really does help. And the fresh air, um, herbal teas and green teas, caffeine tends to not be good. Um, green tea and herbal tea can be helpful. Chamomile is a very calming herb um mint can also be helpful um and exercise exercise is a big one not only does it help your mood it also will help you sleep if you're struggling to sleep it will give you a good tired not the fake depression tired but a good physical tired of your muscles and your body that will help you to sleep soundly at night which in turn will help the depression um 
and talking with friends. So let's go back. Let's go to that. Let's talk about more of the mental, um, what you can do in your own mind and what you can do as far as community and and connecting with other people. So I came across a quote from Stephen Fry uh, about having a friend that's depressed. And I thought this was great. He said, if you know someone who's depressed, please resolve never to ask them why. Depression isn't a straightforward response to a bad situation. Depression just is like the weather. Try to understand the blackness, lethargy, hopelessness, and loneliness they're going through. Be there for them when they come through the other side. It's hard to be a friend to someone who's depressed, but it is one of the kindest, noblest, and best things you will ever do. I also love this uh, quote from C.S. Lewis in The Problem of Pain. It says, the frequent attempt to conceal mental pain increases the burden. Mm. It is easier to say my tooth is aching than to say my heart is broken. <laughs> so what are some things now that uh, you can do in yourself and in your mind? Um, the self-talk we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about so some of the things I help you with. Um, we'll talk about some of that in a minute. So some of the things that you help me with um, definitely require an established relationship. Yeah, Not necessarily definitely. a romantic relationship, but a, a solid friendship, yeah. a secure friendship. Um, because you don't go up to a coworker and say, so what are the messages in your head? <laughs> <laughs> well, at least I hope you don't. Well, wear the tinfoil hat. <laughs> Do you hear the voices today? I hear them. No, but this is one of the things that I have found to be very helpful is when I'm really struggling, David will ask me, so what are you, what are you hearing? What are the messages in your head? What are the, what are you listening to? And sometimes if I don't have the courage to say them out loud, because it might just be a little too crazy for him, <laughs> I'll write them down. And just the process of writing down the things that are running through my head and seeing them in black and white will help me to realize this really is not true. These are lies. This so, is ridiculous. So would you recommend journaling then too? Absolutely. Yes. It's very helpful. But not only just journaling, but when you're struggling in, in the pit, write down the things you're thinking and then go back and reread them and think, is this true? And if, if you're a believer, if you, if you believe the Bible, try to find verses that are related, that express the truth. Or the opposite. Or the opposite of the message that you're hearing. Another thing you can do too, I think, is, especially if you have children, think about what you would feel if someone said those things that you're telling yourself Mm -hmm. or saying them to your children. Right. What would your response be Mm -hmm. if someone was saying those things to your children? How would you respond? Smack them. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. But but to yeah, sometimes sure. in this world of the mind and the imagination, mm-hmm. as that swirling and the emotions are kicking in and there's there's all this stuff happening chemically in the brain and in the body, sometimes if you could just, because we all have that self-talk, we all have those right. messages that run through our mind. If you can write some of those down and it once it exposes them to kind of go the spiritual dimension it exposes how they're not true. Right. And sometimes they almost look laughably silly. They do. And there have been times I can remember distinctly a time when you asked me, so what are the messages you've been listening to? And I said, I'm not going to tell you because they're just too ridiculous. Because after I wrote them down, I just thought that's just silly. Yeah. And, and, and that, and that's something you can do. So what are a couple other things? If you know someone who has depression 
and they're in a bout of depression, what are some things they can do to help that person out of it? Should they just go play golf? <laughs> no, please don't. Well, I've, I've written down a few questions that I think would be helpful things to say to somebody you know that's struggling. Okay. So this is these are the things somebody like I could say right. to you. Okay. Right. Is there anything I can do for you right now that would help relieve your stress? And that takes the burden off of the person. It doesn't make them feel like they're doing something wrong. It expresses mm. an understanding that there's the situation is wrong. Okay. And a willingness to participate. And it would this be okay to say, is there anything that you need from me right now? Exactly. That's that was okay. the next one. Yeah. Okay. That's a great one. Can I take you somewhere? Because sometimes when you're depressed, you don't feel like going anywhere. You really don't want to make that effort. Or the decision about where to or go. Or make a decision. So if somebody will step in and say, hey, let me take you to the park. Or let's go to the beach. Let's go to the beach. Or let me take you over to Bigby. Let's get a coffee. If you like coffee. So community. <laughs> yeah. Connection yeah. with people. And a little added motivation to get up and get out. Asking them what time of the day is hardest for you. Mm. Because for some people, it's hardest to get up and get going in the morning. For other people at night when they're home alone is a very difficult time. Finding out what time of the day is hardest and then making a point to communicate with them at that time of day can mm -hmm. be very helpful. Just simply saying, I'm sorry you're having a tough day and I'm here for you. I'm not going anywhere. You well, don't scare me. <laughs> that's one of the big, big lies. Yeah. Is that is. you're rejectable and you're not worth it. You're not mm -hmm. worth the time or the effort to get to know. Right. You won't always feel this way. Put in hope as much as you can. Mm. Bringing up things that you've laughed about together in the past. Hmm. Telling that's stories of good times. That makes sense. The biggie. Don't say anything, but only if you're together. <laughs> right. If it's on the phone, that's probably not a good idea. Hello? Hello? You're still there? <laughs> but just being with the person and not running away. So again, being present yeah. and just offering your presence mm -hmm. and you don't have to say anything a lot no. of the time. And a lot of times that's what scares people away from people with depression. I don't know what I'd say. We don't like silence. I don't know what to say. But you don't really have to say anything. Lizzie, she knows. She hardly ever says anything. If there were the right words that would heal people or stop this from <laughs> happening, that person would already be a billionaire. That, yeah. There aren't always, there's not the right words. There's just being there and offering your companionship. I was going to say there are blogs and podcasts. I love Brene Brown. I think she says some great stuff. TED Talks, you can go to TED Talks and do a search for different topics mm -hmm. and pull up different TED Talks. And it's often people sharing their story. And there are quite a few about depression and anxiety and different things like that. Anne Voskamp is a Christian. She's the one that told the story about the, the runner, the Australian runner. Her blog that I follow, it doesn't always help. Sometimes it's sort of meh. For me, right. but there are other times when it's exactly what I need. So find a voice. Find a voice that, that resonates to you. Yeah. So I, we're a big believer in, and even if you're not, if you're not a, a, a Christian, I would still recommend try it. What have you got to lose? Try to find some scriptures, write down the things that are running through your head that are killing you, mm -hmm. that are just driving you deeper into the darkness and find things in scripture 
and try writing down things that, that deal with that. Uh, even if you're not a believer, give it a shot. You got nothing to lose. I think a Bible promise book would, would really help with something sure. like that because they have all the verses and the subjects. Do the topical yeah. search. Yeah. Exactly. And if you're not ready for that, if you're not at a place and you're just like, dude, I'm never going to be there. I'll never do that. Then find something positive. Don't give up. You have worth. You have value. We need you. And I know that they don't feel that way, but we really need your voice. We need your opinion. And just to tie back into that story that David told at the beginning about the runner, what she said in that, in that blog just really spoke to me about just keep running through the dark. Yeah. And that's how you win. Yeah. Thank you for if you just, that back. Yeah. If you just lie down and sleep when it's dark, well, not literally sleep, but if you just lie down and do nothing in the dark, right. you'll fall behind. You're not going to win the race. You can win through bouts of depression. You know, mm-hmm. and that's our key tonight is don't give up. You got to keep taking the next step. You know, you got to keep trudging forward, even when it feels like you're not making any progress and everything is dark around you. Take the next step, reach out, find words of encouragement, find words of hope. But the key to this, and this is a big part of our, our podcast and we're going with this is community. We have to know each other's stories it's the only way we can really help each other. It's the only way we can be aware when someone's struggling is we've got to know people and know where they're coming from and know where they've been so that when something happens, we can truly rejoice with them. We'll understand the depths of their rejoicing and we'll understand the depths of their despair when things are going bad. If you will have people in your life that will go into the pit after you. With a little light. With a little light. Sometimes that light is just, let me just hug you for mm-hmm. a couple minutes. Let me just sit next to you. Yeah. Let's watch a show together or something. Hmm. I think that is such a huge thing. So a couple things we need to wrap. We want to continue the discussion. We do have a page on Facebook. Search for an open letter. And we do have a real email address now. It is an open letter, the number two and the letter U. An open letter to you at gmail.com. We'd love to get your email. We really want your feedback on this. Please tell your friends about this podcast. We're going to continue to talk about challenging things. Do you want to wrap this with anything, Carol? Yeah, I've got a little quote here from that blog that I'd like to read. The pit of depression that plunges deep doesn't go deeper than the love of your Jesus. And there is no place his light won't go to find you, to save you, to hold you. Awesome. So we know this is a very deep, difficult issue in no way, shape, or form. We feel like this is going to cure anyone or anything like that. We know we've barely scraped the surface of this topic, but... Carol, thank you so much for being vulnerable tonight, answering my questions. I know it was difficult. There were some tears tonight. I appreciate your vulnerability. We are not experts in this field. We don't pretend to be. We're trying to be a comfort to you and you people. You can be a comfort to each other. And we hope that in some small way this podcast helps. But please remember, if you're struggling with depression, you are not alone. We love you guys. Bye.